All right, well, on Friday, to kind of jog our memory, uh, on Friday, we started with this fascinating study that was conducted by the Barna Research Group called the Open Generation. Uh, For many years, uh, people assumed that atheism would kind of triumph in the West, and yet this study that recently came out just in 2023 revealed that things are actually trending in the opposite direction. Atheism is actually uh, somewhat on the decline, But spiritual openness, especially in the younger generations, Gen Z, is on the rise. And young people are fueling that. And what that means is that while people may uh, not be necessarily interested in Christianity, they're more open than they ever have been before. And if that's true, then the most important question that you and I can answer right now for our friends and neighbors, and especially for the young people that are in our community and all around this country, what we need to answer is maybe not so much whether or not there is a God, but what's so great about our God? And the words of our theme song, what is so great about the great I am? I hope that you have an answer to that this weekend. After everything that we've studied, after all the great lessons that Jordan put together and so many people participated in, I hope you have an answer to that question that that you know what's so great about the great I am and that you want to share that with the people around you. But for this lesson, I want us to focus on the name of our Lord. So we're going to look at two books of the Bible, not two passages, but two books of the Bible. That sounds like a lot, but we'll move through them rather quickly and then just two key lessons to walk away from this weekend with about what is so great about the great I am. Maybe we can start with this. Uh, Have you ever seen one of these, uh, ever put one of these on? You walk into some event, some party that's going on, and you grab one of these, and you write your name down with a Sharpie, stick it on you as a name tag. Hello, my name is Jarrett. And for me, uh, I don't uh, have any uh, particular meaning behind my name, Jarrett. Just, I think my parents couldn't decide between Garrett or Jarrett, and so they just slapped the two together and went with Jarrett. Um, but many of you, many of your names mean something. And in fact, to, to some extent, in some way, all of our names mean something. When we put that name tag on, there's something that that represents. There's some meaning and, and identity behind that. And uh, this might be interesting. While my first name may not mean a whole lot, my last name, Ferguson, is Scottish. Maybe you'll find this interesting. It, it, it literally means son of the angry one. Son of the angry one, very descriptive of my character, as you can probably tell, son of the angry one. But names, they, they mean something. They tell us something about who that person is. And did you know, did you know that God has a name? Now, maybe you think, well, of course, God has a name. His name's God. And that's, that's true, but, but God is really more like a title. Elohim is the Hebrew word, and it's used multiple times in the Hebrew scripture to describe other spiritual beings. It's just a a title. Uh, Or the same is true of Adonai, Lord. It's a title, but it's not not his name. But did you know that God has a personal covenantal name that he revealed to us? And it comes in Exodus chapter 3. And you're familiar with this story. This is where Moses, he has fled from Egypt, and he's been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. And one day, he's making his way through the the Sinai region, 
up in this mountain desert area. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he catches this burning bush. And don't think just this small shrub, but this, this massive bush that is engulfed in flames, and it catches his eye, and he, he moves toward it. And then the Lord speaks from it. And he interacts with Moses there, right? He says, remove your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. And they have this interaction. And in this conversation that Moses has with the Lord, he says, look, I hear the cries of my people. And I remember the promises that I made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I'm going to deliver my people from slavery in Egypt. I'm, I'm going to bring them into the promised land, and I'm going to do that through you, Moses, the shepherd. And Moses is kind of like, whoa, 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 time out. I'm not sure if I'm on board with that. Not sure that I'm the right guy for the job. But through this conversation, finally, Moses comes to see that he is, in fact, the one chosen, right? God can be pretty convincing. And so he says, okay, well, if I go down to Egypt, he says, if I go to the people in Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What should I say to them? Moses wants to know, hey, if I go down there and I start talking about this God who's going to deliver you from slavery and bring you into this promised land, they're going to want to know, what God are you talking about? And so the Lord responds. He says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so if God had a name tag, it would look something like this. Hello, my name is I Am. Now, when Moses heard that, I wonder if he was kind of like, okay, uh, what's your name? I Am. Okay, that's really helpful. I now understand everything about who you are. I now completely understand your character and identity. That explains everything. Thank you. Uh, maybe Moses is kind of scratching his head because it's this, this, I think, intentionally ambiguous title that God is undefinable. That God can't be described in any one particular way. He is. He is the I am. Now, throughout your Bibles, you may not see the words I am in every location. What you'll often see is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which is how our modern translations translate the name Yahweh. And that comes from this moment, I am. Yahweh means uh, to be or it means I am. And so all the thousands of times that you come across the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, in your Bibles, that is the covenantal personal name of God, of Yahweh, the I am. And the question is, well, well what, is that name, what does that name really mean? Maybe it has to do, some describe his, his eternal power, that he is the, the one who was and is and is to come. He's the only eternal, uh, non-contingent being that gives life and breath to all things, and certainly all that is true. Maybe it's describing his holy otherness. Maybe all that is part of it, but I think the name of the Lord is actually far more personal than, than the way that maybe we often think about it, and it's revealed in a story. And maybe we could think about it like this. Uh, I am only sometimes who I am. 
Does that make sense? I am only sometimes good. I am only sometimes wise in my decisions. I am only sometimes kind and generous and serving, but I'm not always those things. And I'm not at any point perfectly any of those things. But part of what the name of the Lord is getting at with the I am is that he is who he is. Whatever he is, he is that perfectly and eternally, unchanging, the rock. He is the unchanging I am. Whoever he is, that is who he is, constant, unchanging, the I am. And the question is, well, well, what is that? What is he like? And the rest of the book of Exodus, the rest of this story is all about that. The book of Exodus is not just, it's not just about the redemption of God's people. It's also, and maybe even ultimately, about the revelation of God's name. It starts here in chapter 3 when, when God reveals his name to Moses and he says, I am. And then it leaves the question wide open for Moses and for the people and for you and I when we read this story today to wonder, well, what exactly is that? He's revealed his name, but it's still wide open to know, well, what is this God going to be like? And so we read throughout the book of Exodus where we see God revealed, we see the I am revealed, that I am the God who hears the cries of my people who are enslaved in Egypt. I am the God who remembers my covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I am the God who thwarts the oppressive powers of Egypt and sets you free. I am the God who is greater than the idols that you are surrounded by in Egypt. I am the God who parts the Red Sea so you can walk through. I am the God who provides food and water for you in the wilderness. I am the God who leads you to the foot of this mountain to draw you into this covenant relationship. I am the God who continues to keep his promises, to keep that covenant even after it's been broken by the golden calf. And I am the God who wants to continue to make my name known through you, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the I am. Story of Exodus, the revelation of God's name. But the climax comes in Exodus 34. And there in Exodus 34, at sort of the climax of this whole story, Moses, he's standing there at Mount Sinai, the same place that he stood or very close to it that he stood not many months before when he was a shepherd. And now again, he stands on this same mountain and he asks God this amazing question. He asks God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. Show me your essence. Show me the I am. And so God says, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I will allow all my glory to pass before you. And so he hides him in the cleft of the rock. And it says in Exodus 34 and verse 5 that the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord, the I am. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, or I am, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. 
So Moses, he says, show me your glory. And the Lord passes before him and he proclaims his name. God says, I'm, I'm more than a light show. I'm more than just my awesome power and might and strength. I'm more than just the brilliant splendor of my holiness that I have a character, that I have a, 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 an essence, and this is my glory. What we find is that, that, that the I am is not just some impersonal force in the universe. The I am is not some abstract idea that has evolved throughout human history and a story that's been passed down to us today. No, the I am is a personal and loving and relational God who desires a relationship with us. This is the I am. And the rest of the Old Testament, I think, is really about God proving that to be true. The rest of Scripture is God showing that this really is who He is. That when, when, when the people doubt, when they doubt His intentions, when they wonder if God really has their best interest in mind, when they wander off to serve idols or to trust in other nations, or they've wandered so far that they feel like the I Am will never welcome them back, the prophets remind the people over and over again, this is what's so great about our God. This is what's so great about the great I am, that even though you're not who you ought to be, the I am is who he is. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In this verse, actually the most quoted verse in all the Bible, not always a direct quotation, but it is the most quoted, alluded to passage in all of the Bible. All the, all the names, all the glory references that Jordan mentioned in the, in the first sermon this morning, everything about God declaring his glory or making his name known, all have their derivative in this passage where God reveals his glory, where he reveals his name, the I Am. And the, the question that it raises is, is this. If, 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 someone, if someone were to constantly doubt and question your character, if day by day, year by year, you tried to pour love into someone, that you tried to prove your character, that you're merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, if you tried to prove your character over and over again, and that was rejected and rebelled against, and doubted over and over, eventually, eventually you'd probably give up and say, all right, my hands are clean. I'm taking my hands away. I'll let you run your course, and, and we'd give up. But not the I am. And the question that is ringing in our ears as we close the Old Testament and open up the pages of the New Testament is to what extent will Yahweh go to prove that this really is who he is. To what extent will Yahweh go to prove I am? And that's when we come to this fascinating story in John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Now, I know this is a sharp pivot, but hang with me here. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. John 18 and verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, after being in the upper room with his disciples and praying the high priestly prayer over them, after he had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron 
where there was a garden. And you know this garden, right? The Garden of Gethsemane. And it says that he and his disciples had entered there. It says, now Judas, who had betrayed him, he also knew about this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers and chief priests and the Pharisees, they all went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And you can imagine this scene. Jesus is there in the garden of Gethsemane, weeping and praying to God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. The disciples are gathered there, and from a long way off, from the garden of Gethsemane, they would have been able to see the gates of Jerusalem. And this band of soldiers with lanterns and torches and weapons slowly making their way up that hill toward this garden. And as Jesus sees this band of soldiers approaching, it says, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, fled. Jesus, knowing all that would happen, escaped and went back up into Galilee to evade capture. No, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. He came forward and he said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. I am. Now, time out. Maybe you think, wait a second. That's not what my Bible says. My, my version says, I am he. That's how most of our translations put it. I believe NIV, ESV, NASB. Most translations put, I am he. And that's one way to, to translate it. That maybe helps us make sense of it, the way we speak in, in in English, but in the Greek, it's just these two words, ego emi, I am. And notice what happens when Jesus says these words. With this band of soldiers gathered around him and asking, we're searching for Jesus, it says that, uh, it says that Jesus, knowing that this would happen, when Jesus said this, when he said, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now, what's going on there? Um, maybe what's happening there is uh, they're just startled, right? You wouldn't expect the guy that you're looking for to just come right forward. And so maybe they're, sh they're so shocked that this rabbi would just step forward and say, here I am, I'm the guy, take me, that they're just startled and caught off guard and they fall back to the ground. And in that sense, it's almost like this comedic kind of scene almost. It's, it's almost laughable that they would fall down in this moment. But maybe something else is happening. Maybe it's that when Jesus says, I am, when the I am incarnate speaks, maybe his words are so powerful and filled with such might in this moment that they are blown back by holy awe and wonder and they fall to the ground. Whatever it might have been, here's the point that I think John's trying to make. Every time someone encounters God, this is what they do. Have you noticed that in the Bible? In the Bible story, Moses, even when, when he encounters the burning bush, he himself is, is struck with fear. Or the people at Mount Sinai, they draw back in fear when God descends on the mountain. Or you think of the story of Isaiah when he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He, he falls to his knees and he says, woe is me for I am undone in the presence of the I am. This is what happens when people encounter the I am. They fall back, they draw back and they fall to the ground. 
And John's point, whatever is happening in this moment, John's point is that this is the I am. This is the I am incarnate. And, and maybe, maybe you think, okay, I think I see the point. Well, think back through John's gospel with me for a moment. And think about how, how much this statement comes up over and over again. In John 8 and verse 58, Jesus says to a crowd of people, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And for the Jewish people, they understood very well the claim that Jesus was making, so much so that they picked up stones to throw at him. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh, the I am. Or John 6 and verse 20, when Jesus is walking on the Sea of Galilee amidst the storm toward this boat that his disciples are are in at the moment, and we see Jesus doing what throughout Psalms and throughout the book of Job, only Yahweh can do. Only the I am can walk along the sea upon the surface of the waters. But here Jesus is doing just that, and he says to them in the boat, I am. Do not be afraid. Or you think about all the I am statements, right? Over and over again, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Over and over again, the I am. And this is in large part what the whole gospel of John is about, right? Jesus is the great I am who has come to dwell with us. John 1.14, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. The word that Moses heard atop Mount Sinai, when the Lord said, I am merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that word took on flesh. And the I am became one of us to dwell with us. And the question is, well, what is the I am doing here? What's the I am doing here in John 18? What is the I am doing as one of his closest companions betrays him? What is the I am doing as he is led by this band of soldiers into a mock trial, into this uh, court in which he is falsely accused and wrongly condemned? What is the I am doing as he is beaten and mocked and spat upon and whipped? What is the I am doing as he is led up Golgotha? What is the I am doing as he hangs on a cross? What's the I am doing here? And the answer to that, I think, is found in what happens next in John 18. The next verse says, once more Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? And again, they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus answered, I told you, I am. Therefore, therefore, he says this, if you seek me, let these go. You seek me, let these go. Jesus knowing all that would happen to him. Jesus knowing that all of his band of disciples were about to forsake him and flee and leave him all alone. Jesus knowing all of that still says, let these go and take me. And then the next verse says this, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. And then he quotes John 6 and verse 39, Jesus' own words, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one of them, but I shall raise them up on the last day. 
Do you hear the gospel in that? You hear the gospel in this moment? Jesus, he says, let these go and take me. And here's, here's the point. I am only sometimes who I am. Sometimes I'm good, but sometimes I'm bad. Sometimes I am kind and patient. Otherwise, other, other times my patient runs out quickly. Sometimes I'm loving, but other times I am hateful and resentful. And throughout my life, I'm not always who I am. I'm not always who I'm supposed to be. And in the Bible, this dichotomy of our character where we're never who we are, we're never who we're supposed to be, in the Bible, that's described as sin. But the good news is that even though I'm not always who I ought to be, the I am is still who he is. The I am is still merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And to prove I am, to prove that this really is who he is, the I am came forth. The I am took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he went to the cross and he said, let these go and take me. Let Ricky go and take me. Let Micah go and take me. Let these go and take me. And if I ever doubt, if I ever question the character of God, if I ever wonder if he has my best intentions in mind, then I can look to the cross and I can behold the glory of God and I can hear the voice of God say, just as he said to Moses, that this is who I am. And this is who I am for you. So what's so great about the great I am? Maybe we could say it like this. The I am became as we are so that we could forever be as he is. That's the story that we're living in. That's the story that you and I are living out. That's the story that we've read about this weekend and that we are desiring to live out beginning when we leave this building, that the I am became as we are so that we could ever be and live as he is. And so before we go, I think that means two really important things as we walk away from this weekend. The first is this, the I am tells me who I am. A while back, I was listening to a, a podcast called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. And it's an excellent podcast if you're looking for something to add to your weekly playlist. Uh, but it's largely about how uh, we see this rise in spiritual openness, especially among this younger generation. There's this rebirth of belief in God that many people didn't see coming. And one of the things that they talk about in this specific episode was uh, how in modern culture, we're told to find meaning by looking within, by looking within the self. And this is sort of the, the gospel of our culture, right? Uh, you've heard the song, uh, Elsa from the movie Frozen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. This is kind of the gospel anthem of our culture. This is the anthem that be, is being raised all around us, that it's just a you-to-you kind of culture. Find your truth. Find the meaning within yourself. Look within yourself and express that out into 
the world. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And that that is how I discover true meaning and purpose and value and worth. And while that might sound really exciting and liberating on one hand, here's the problem with it. In the words of this podcast, it says, we live in a culture of relentless self-invention. This is in no small part behind the massive mental health epidemic. Young people are cast loose into the world and being told to go and invent themselves. Do you hear the weight of that? Cast loose into the world and told to go and invent yourself. And, and, and while on one hand, again, that might sound exciting and, and liberating, think about it. This is a depressively crushing and anxiety-inducing way of life because the weight of our existence, the weight of your life depends upon whatever you make of it. That you are the, the author of your own story, the author of your own existence, and it all depends on you. That is an immense weight to carry. And what people are finding is that they're, they're finding themselves, but they're not finding the meaning and the purpose and the value and worth that was promised to go along with it. The good news is there is a better way. And that is to, to let the I am tell me who I am. The good news is to let him define me. I, I love the, the line in the hymn, O Holy Night, that's sometimes sung, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The idea that the, the world existed for ages in sin and error, pining at its existence, struggling to make sense of its worth. And, and we feel that too, that we struggle through life, maybe for many years, struggling to, to prove our existence, to prove the worth of our being. And yet, as the world existed in sin and error, pining, it was till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. So the I am appeared and the soul felt its worth. See, I, I, don't, I don't have to create my own meaning. I don't have to prove the worth of my existence because the I am tells me who I am. The I am tells me that I'm made in his image with inherent dignity and value and worth. The I am tells me that even though I am far more sinful than I ever dared imagine, I'm far more loved than I ever dared dream. And the I am tells me that I am not defined by the sum total of my successes or failures, but that by his grace, I belong to him. And the question is, are you letting the I am define you? Are you letting the I am tell you who you are? Because when you do, here's the second thing. When you allow the I am to tell you who you are, the I am is revealed in me. This is God's promise to the people in Exodus, right? He says, you'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a, and a holy nation of people for my own possession. In other words, God says, I'm going to reveal my name and I'm gonna reveal my name through you. And this is the whole purpose of our lives, of our existence, right? This is what Jordan talked about this morning that our, our existence is, is to allow the I am to be revealed in me. It's what it means to be an image bearer of God, a reflection of his glory and goodness, carrying his name 
And so God sent his son into the world, and Jesus is the ultimate image of God who fully revealed the Father's glory and goodness, but God wants to do the same in us. God wants the word to take on flesh in us. And so in this open generation, as people are perhaps more open to the idea of God than they have been in a long time, we can look out at this world who is asking, what's so great about your God? What's so great about the great I am? And and we can point them to scripture, we can point them to this story, and we can point them to the cross, and we can say, this is what's so great about the great I am. But here's what's so amazing to me. That as the world asks, what's so great about the great I am? The I am points to you and me. He points to us, the church. And the hope is that when the world looks, they won't see how great I am or how great you are, but that they'll see the I am, the great I am, revealed in you and in me. And so we believe our God, he is alive. But the question that this weekend leaves us with is, is the great I am alive in you? Is the great I am alive in you? I've loved this weekend so much. I'm so thankful for our time together. And I pray that the great I am be with you as we go. And before we sing, I want to offer the the invitation. We're about to sing a song about God desiring our hearts. The great I am, what does he want from us? He wants a relationship. He wants our heart. And if you desire that this morning, and we hope that you'll come forward now as together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.